I'm not going to preach for a long time, but I do have something I really want to say this morning. Before we jump into Romans again, learning a new normal number 12, I just thought I'd take an opportunity to recap because it's been um, three or four weeks since um, we had a learning the new normal session. So I just want to recap and, and it don't go, oh no, we're going to go over 11 messages, <laughs> it's okay, I'm going to keep it short and sharp. But I do want us to just understand uh, where we have been on the first 11 messages of the Learning a New Normal series, because it is a bit of a journey and the journey is going to continue, and I don't want us to forget where we've been or what we've been learning along the way. Remembering, of course, the whole point of the Learning a New Normal series or season is that we want to have a look at the way the world does things now, have a look at the way the world sees things now, what is now normal for our world and the way we view things, and then have a look at what God says and change our perspective, learn a new normal, have a a godly look at what the Bible says God wants us to do in the way we should behave, think, act, speak and be. So it is learning a new normal. In the first uh, 11 weeks of learning a new normal. We started at Romans 1.1 and we've worked our way through to Romans 5.6, which is where we're at to today. Very first week we had a look at the, the subject of change and we saw that uh, in order to develop new normal relationships, they're going to pop up on the screen I think at some point, these 11 uh, words so that we can uh, get them in our heads. We had a look at the fact that if we really want a new normal relationship with God, We've got to be prepared to change. Current thinking says this, I don't need to change, I'm fine the way I am. New normal thinking says, God, what would you like me to change? What needs to change in me? In the second week, we had a look at faith. We saw that the new normal way of of life, of thinking, is built by living in faith every day. Current thinking says, I can do anything I need to do on my own, thank you very much. New normal thinking says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Righteousness was week number three. We learnt that in a new normal sense, we've got to understand and acknowledge that God's complete righteousness, including necessary judgment, is the only way home to God and is only revealed and expressed in and through Jesus Christ. Current thinking says, our human thinking and abilities will save us. Thank you very much. New normal thinking says only God and his expressed love can save us. Week four, we had a look at personal responsibility. New normal way of thinking in God means that we've got to be prepared to take personal responsibility for our thoughts, words and actions. Current thinking, someone else must be to blame. I have rights, you know. New normal thinking, I will take responsibility for my own thoughts, words and actions at all times. Number five, consequences. Week number five, we had a look at the subject of consequences. Learning a new normal relies on understanding what we call the if and then principle of action and response. Working hard to make inside change in order to see outside change. Current thinking on that says, who cares what happens tomorrow? Live for today. New normal thinking says, everything I do, think and say today will have an effect on tomorrow. Number six, week six, representation. In a new normal way of doing things, we don't want to forget that we are actually representatives of God and must represent him well. Current thinking says, nobody really notices or cares how I behave. New normal thinking says, people will see God through me, so I choose to shine. 
Week seven, the issue of balance came up. That balance is as important in our relationship with God as it is in our physical and our emotional well-being. Current thinking, just do whatever seems right and it should all work out in the end. New normal thinking, I will attempt to keep healthy and balanced at all times in body, soul and spirit. Week eight, trust. New normal thinking demands that we trust in God and it's that trust which in turn releases his blessings in and through our lives. Current thinking, trust no one and nothing other than yourself. New normal thinking, trust in the Lord your God and lean not on your own understanding. Promises, week nine, that in order to truly and completely connect with God, we must believe his promises. He keeps all of his promises and his main promise is his love and his presence in our lives. Current thinking says everybody will break their promises. New normal thinking says God never breaks his promises. So believe him and believe in him. Week number 10, we had a look at the the issue, the subject of God's power. That despite difficult circumstances that we will all experience in life, God has the power to fulfill his promises and change lives. So cling on to him, the only thing worth really clinging to. Current thinking says money, material possessions, role and title, they will give you power and they're worth fighting for and grabbing for. New normal thinking says nothing other than the love of God is worth grabbing for. And the last one, number 11, week 11, we had a look at acceptance. That a real pillar, a real foundation, a real key in learning a new normal is actually letting go and accepting the truth about God, about others and about yourself. Current thinking says it can't be that simple. There has to be a catch. New normal thinking says, no, there is no catch, and it is that simple. God loves you. God loves you. So over the 11 weeks of learning a new normal, we've wandered, well, we haven't wandered, actually. We've walked with purpose through the first four, nearly five chapters of Romans, looking at all of these subjects and topics, change, faith, righteousness, personal responsibility, consequences, representation, balance, trust, promises, power, acceptance. We've had a really good look so far and we're only uh, a, a tiny little bit into the book of Romans and into the word of God. There's so much more to see and to discover and to find. Today we're just going to have a look at a couple more verses, one more subject, one more theme, all straight from God. And I hope and pray that this whole journey, not just today, but the whole journey of 12 so far and whatever God has in store for us keeps moving us and shaping us on the inside. I said to you right at the start, this whole thing came about simply from prayer, simply from saying to God, what do you want me to preach? What are we meant to be talking about in the life of the church? He said, go to Romans. He said, learn a new normal. He said, follow the pattern. So that's all we're doing as a church each week, prayerfully opening it and saying, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to learn? I hope and I really pray that it sits in our hearts and is doing something in our lives. Is that okay? Righto. Week number 12. Romans 5, 6, 7 and 8. Just three verses. Romans 5, 6, 7 and 8 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, 
Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that. But I couldn't get past the very first verse I read, verse 6, and that little phrase that says, at just the right time. At just the right time. So if you're adding another theme, another key to this list so far, number 12 would be timing. The timing of God. Heavenly Father, right now, just as we unpack this over the next 10 or 15 minutes, we pray that it would be your heart that comes through, that it would be your spirit that drives what is said and done, and that it's you, Lord Jesus, that opens us up and connects us with you. Bless you, Lord Jesus, as you imprint your heart and your word and your character on our lives and our mind and our heart right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Just the right time. Timing. Timing is a key ingredient in life, isn't it? Timing is that, that wonderful ability to select the precise moment for doing something to its best possible effect and result. The, the kind of seemingly unconscious ability to know exactly when is right for the best possible outcome, the best possible result. Timing is massively important in so many areas of life. I mean, simple things we can think off the top of our heads. Timing is very important if you happen to be a comedian. You you don't want to get the punchline wrong. You don't want to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's just not funny. And the whole point of comedy is to be funny. So timing suddenly becomes very, very important if you're a comedian. Timing is, in fact, very, very important in most of the expressed arts. Imagine no timing in a dance routine. Well, actually, just close your eyes and think of me in Lycra. (laughs) Okay, don't. (laughs) But too late. (laughs) But if you're a dancer, if you're trying to perform and express something physical that, that is tied to music, that involves movement, imagine if you had no sense of timing. It doesn't work. Imagine if you try to sing a song with no understanding of timing. If you're all out of whack with the orchestra or the backing CD, if you don't have a, an understanding or an appreciation of the precise moment to do the right thing at the right time, what you're trying to do doesn't work. It just falls apart. In fact, I saw on the news this week uh, an example of timing in the arts. Sydney Theatre Company, I don't know if you noticed it, um, poor old Kate Blanchett, right in the middle of a performance at the, the, on the wharf in Sydney, at the main theatre of the Sydney Theatre Company, copped a prop to the side of the head, right in the middle of a performance, something that obviously was not supposed to fly through the air and hit her in the head, did. Timing, bad timing, had to cancel the performance in the middle while she went off stage. She's okay, but there was a fair bit of blood floating around, apparently. But bad timing, is not good. Things, uh, and I know that from a performance perspective, things are timed to occur at particular times. And you know, if I shift that way at the wrong time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk into someone's line or light or receive the wrong prop, at the, well, not in the head always, but at the wrong time. Timing is essential. Essential. Imagine the potter sitting down uh, to pot the clay, to throw the clay pot. If, if he or she puts their foot on that little wheel thing too fast, whoosh, whack! Bad timing. 
If you do manage to finish it and get it in the kiln but leave it in there for too long, bad timing. Take it out too soon, bad timing. So many things in, in, in the arts in that sense that are creative revolve around timing. But it isn't just restricted to the arts. Think, think about cooking. I mean, we all, not all, many people ended up watching MasterChef. Just a poll, quick poll. How many people actually watched it regularly? Yeah, probably more than half the people in the room. Interesting. Has it improved your cooking? No, not at all. Are you inviting us over for dinner at any point? Skinny latte throughout the week, maybe. No, no, just checking. Um, timing in cooking is amazingly important. If, if you don't get that thing in the oven at the right time or you don't stir it for the, the amount of, length of time required, the, the dish won't work. If it's not served at the right time, if it's not produced at the right time, timing, amazingly important. What about sport? What about sport, everybody says. I'm assuming at least probably half the people in the room watched the football yesterday and those who were Geelong supporters are just feeling kind of proud as punch right now. Lovely. Well, I mean, we're being silly about it, but think about it. The greatest sportsmen and women that we love watching and we cheer and we admire, one of the key ingredients they possess is a sense of timing, an ability to evade tackles or, or, or produce the, the best shot or the best throw or the best catch at the right time. Amazing skill, timing. Selecting the precise moment for the best result. So if this is all true and accurate in, in business, in sport, in the arts or cooking or most areas of life, does timing have a role in our relationship with God or our relationship with others? I would suggest that it does, absolutely. And this verse right here in Romans 5, 6, for me, proves it. It says that at just the right time, God stepped in and did what he needed to do. God acted on our behalf. God took action. He interceded at just the right time. I'd suggest to you this morning that the timing of God is vital for you and I in our lives and our relationship with him and each other. In fact, I'd go so far as to say, based on scripture and experience, God is brilliant at selecting the right time. The precise moment to do something that brings about the best possible result for any situation. It's just that it never quite seems that good to us at the time. But he knows what he's doing. God is God, you're not, and I'm not. And we need to let God be God and let him be in charge of timing. Part of a new normal way of thinking is to take off our watch, put a smile on our face and let God be responsible for timing issues in our lives. I was thinking as we're watching the little clip of Vanuatu there, takes me right back and uh, I'd like to go tomorrow and get back over there and see what we can do to help because places like that just get stuck in your heart. And thinking in sense of timing, being in Vanuatu, I... I don't think I ever noticed anybody with a watch. Certainly not with a PDA or a diary or a personal assistant or any form of what we would consider to be Western thinking appropriate timing. Things are just done on a totally different schedule. 
So in my head, I use that as an example to say, okay, when I go to Vanuatu, I'm able, it's a little tricky, but I'm able to let go of the way I think time should be run. So why can't I apply that to my life? Why can't I apply that to everyday thinking in a new normal way of thinking and saying, God, I choose to take off my watch. I choose to let go of my desire to have everything run according to my timeline. I'm letting go and I'm letting you be the boss of time in my life. Very hard to do. Anybody ever have trouble letting go and letting God be in charge of timing? It's not easy, is it? Two clues in the text here as to why we should let God be in charge of timing in our lives. Very simple, very fast. Two things, two words. First clue, also found in verse 6, we are described as powerless. Which is probably not the kind of word that we would like to be recognised for. Probably as humans, not the sort of thing you want to be called all the time. Hi, there's powerless, how are you doing? But absolutely true, nonetheless. As humans without God, we are effectively powerless to produce positive, long-lasting change. We need God's interruption in our lives. We need God's timing to make things work. We just don't like to talk about it or admit it. God, of course, knows that we're powerless without him and wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. First clue as to why we need God in charge of the timing of our lives is we are powerless without him. Second clue, verse 8, two verses down, is very simple and very straight to the point. God loves you. Because in verse 8 it says God demonstrates his love for us by providing a way out, by providing a way home, a link to him, an eternal relationship. Why should I let go and let God be in charge of timing issues in my life? Two reasons. One, because he loves me. And two, because without him I'm powerless. If you ever struggle to let go, if you ever struggle to allow God to be the boss of time in your life, if you're battling with God and saying, no, I want it done on my terms, on my time, when I say and when I do, if you're struggling with that, then remember these two things. God loves you. And you're powerless without him, so let go. Let him be the boss of time in your life. But the question comes back, does God always come through with the timing in my life? Does he really? Will he do what he says he'll do? Will he actually nail it on time when I want him to? Well, we may not think so. And sometimes it looks like it's not quite working, but God does know what's best for us. And he's always working to ensure that the right timing is applied to you and your life. I'll show you. Quickly turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Probably a story that most of us would know. I'm just going to pull a couple of things out of it to demonstrate, illustrate this point. Does God always come through with the timing in my life? Matthew 14 verses 22 through to 36. I think it is. Yes, it is. Immediately, Matthew fourteen twenty two. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. 
But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And when they'd crossed over and landed on the other side, and when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country, and people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Here's a great picture of Jesus Christ and his disciples, and I believe that this example is aimed right at us, not us specifically, Connect Church congregation this morning, us as those who love and follow and serve God, Christians today. Why do I say that? Because I note in verse 22, I find this fascinating, that the first thing Christ does, this is after they've been feeding the 5,000 and healing people and, and doing miracles and they've been moving around, ministering throughout the countryside. And then it says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side and he dismissed the crowd. He said to those who didn't quite yet know him, could you leave please? He wanted to focus on those who were right with him. He had something he wanted to say, something he wanted to prove, something he wanted to teach and demonstrate to his disciples to the believers, to those who were with him, walking with him day by day by day. Today, 2009 in Geelong, that's you. That's you. You are loving and serving God and following him and walking with him and God wants to make a point in our lives today. He says, dismiss the crowd. Dismiss the other stuff that's in your head. Forget that there's a roast in the oven right now. For five more minutes, just listen to what God wants to put in your heart. Running out of batteries. I'd blow my nose if I could, but that would be gross, so I won't do that. Thank you for your prayers during the week, too. I was feeling pretty ordinary, but... Back on track. All good. He dismissed the crowd. He wanted to really get a, a message through to those who were right with him. And that's us today. So I want us to really listen and understand this. Then the very next thing he did in verse 23, after he dismissed the crowd, got their focus and put them in a boat, he left them alone. He left them alone and went off to pray. He left them alone. What's the deal with that? He got our attention. He called us together. He got us in one place. He took away the distractions. He, he, he had us focused. He, he basically all but put up a big banner that said, I, I want to make a point. I want to teach you something. And then he left us. He, he, he left. Well, what's the deal with that? The boat was moving. Scripture tells us the boat was actually traveling away from Jesus being pounded by the waves. Now, hang on, aren't these people in the boat the ones that love and follow God? Aren't these the church people? Aren't these the good Christians? 
Jesus has just left them and they're getting pounded by the waves. Anyone here ever felt a little distant from God? Like he's kind of left you for a minute and life is pounding and life is throwing you some pretty serious waves and the boat's getting a bit rocky and you're feeling a bit crook, you're feeling a bit seasick, can't really feel God, can't see God, wondering what to do. Well, here's the clincher, thinking about timing. The Bible records in verse 25 that during the fourth watch, Jesus turned up. Historically speaking, there's 12 hours, well, there's still 12 hours between 6pm and 6am. Historically speaking, those 12 hours between 6pm and 6am were divided into four lots of three and used for shifts, for fishing, for net cleaning and mending or for other appropriate industries that worked through the night. First watch, second watch, third watch, fourth watch. Bible says during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came out to the boat. That's between 3am and 6am. If you've ever sat up overnight, perhaps watching Australia play South Africa, Kuda. If you've ever sat up through the night, you'll know that when you're starting to get to about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, it's the hardest part of the night. It's the worst part of the night. It's the coldest part of the night, the darkest part of the night, the loneliest part of the night, the bit where you're dropping off and coming back up, dropping off and coming back up, the bit where the dribble's coming down the side and you're going, oh, what's that? It's the worst part of the night, the fourth watch, when you feel the most alone, when you feel the most neglected, when you feel the most disappointed, when you're in the darkest and most difficult part of your day or life, in the fourth watch, Jesus turns up. In the fourth watch, just when you thought he's never coming back, just when you thought I can't see the shore, just when you thought it's so cold, and lonely and dark, and I'm, and I'm, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. Just then, during the fourth watch, Jesus turns up. Jesus turns up. The same is true for us right now, isn't it? Just when you've had enough, just when you think you can't go on any further, just when you think things are at their all time darkest and hardest, God turns up. And reminds you that he never actually left you in the first place. He's just testing. Just letting you grow. Just letting you find your feet. Just deepening your faith. Just broadening your understanding. He says, I'm always there. Just on the other side of the water there. I didn't go far. I'm right with you. And what's our first reaction when Jesus turns up? Well, probably a bit like the disciples. If you read through there. Their first reaction was fear, terror, shock, horror, disbelief. Ah! Where have you been? How come you don't love us? Why don't you care? He just speaks into the situation. He says, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Three things he tells them to do straight away. Scribble them down nice and simple. One, two, three. Have courage. Obey him and trust him. He says, don't be afraid. Come. And he offers his hand. Don't be afraid. Come. And he offers his hand. Have courage. Obey him and trust him. What's our response to God's offer today? We sit here in our boat. The issues of life pounding us. 
waiting for God to show up, not realizing he's actually already here. He stands before us right at the right time, just at the right time, with a complete package of answers to all of our problems. He says, take it. Interestingly, he doesn't say, have courage, develop courage, uh, look for courage. He says, take courage. It's on offer. It's on offer from God. Take courage. Take it from me, says God. I've got plenty to share. Take it. The amazing thing about the way he phrased that, it's there for the taking. And maybe we should read ahead and notice the result of this encounter with Christ. If we're prepared to allow God to run the timing in our lives. Have a look at verses 34 and 36. And all the sick were brought to him, and all who touched him were healed. The result of letting go and letting God run the timing in our lives, healing for everybody. Healing for everybody. God's timing is always perfect. Why don't we develop new normal number 12 and let go of trying to be in charge of our own timing and let God do the timing. Let God be the timekeeper. Let God drive the agenda. Is that fair this morning? I want to pray for you and uh, actually I'll ask you guys to come back and play because I'd like you to play um, what you played earlier in the day, Clinging to the Cross. That'd be just beautiful. Um, and I just want to pray, pray for all of us and any of us. And if this is an issue for you, if there's been a time in your life where there is currently a thought in your head that you just can't let go of wanting to run your own timing, if you need just to let go and say, God, all right, this hasn't quite worked the way I thought it would work or at the time I thought it would happen, but I'm prepared to let go and I'm prepared to let you run the timing in my life. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Why don't we have every head bowed and every eye closed? Just out of respect and dignity for one another. Just focus on God right now. We say, Heavenly Father, as we pray, we pray that you, Lord, you, Lord, would prompt us to respond to you right now. In truth, you say in your word that true worshippers worship you in spirit and truth right now God we pray for spirit and truth to be magnified in our lives to prompt us to respond openly and honestly to you say thank you God we love you we so appreciate the forgiveness the mercy the grace that you have shown to us and bestowed upon us and we receive that right now Heavenly Father and in honesty and openness and vulnerability, we respond by saying, God, help us to develop these new normal ways of doing things. With regard to timing in my life, God, I let go of it completely. God, I want you to drive the agenda. God, I want you to tell me at which point things should be done and not done. God, I hand my life and the timing of it over to you. 
If you're in this place this morning while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and you just prayed that with me or you want to pray something similar, just raise your hand right now so I can see that I'm praying with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Well, right now, for those people that have raised their hands, just pray something like this in your heart. God, I give it all to you. I let go of my desire. I let go of the pressure that comes with trying to make everything happen when I want it to happen. God, I release that pressure. I let go of that desire. I let you be the king, the Lord, the savior, the timekeeper. And I know and I believe that you are always with me and you will, you will produce the best result at the best possible time because you created timing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I hand it all over to you. Lord, we pray today as a church for all those who have felt that way, that up till this point they've been trying to do it themselves. But God, I pray that today there's a change. Thank you for that, Heavenly Father. And we fill this, this house with prayer right now, God. We thank you for the opportunity we've had this morning to come together and, and sing and pray and have a look at the Word and, and celebrate and give. God, all these things we wrap up and we present them to you and we say, God, we love you. Now do with us and our abilities and our finances and our heart and our timing as you see fit. God, use us. Use us to represent you. Take your message out into the world. Thank you, God. Praise your mighty name. Praise your mighty name. Amen. Why don't you all stand to your feet?